KC, how we doing tonight? Let's go. There you go. Hey, my name is Nick Swearingen. If I get, haven't gotten a chance to meet you, I just want to say welcome. Like Grant said, the block is all about helping young adults build, build their lives on what counts. And so we just, we believe that that is done through following Jesus and following God. And if that is new to you, then you are in the right place. But before we get started with this series about Headspace, I think there's some congratulations in order. Uh, do we have any fans of the 2022 Men's National Championship University of Kansas Jayhawks in the house? Let's go. Come on. Make some noise. There's a bunch of you that that was a very controversial statement for. And there's a lot of you that are like, Nick, you went to Kansas State University. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Rock Chuck. Let's go. Guys, maybe it's just the fact that I'm a huge sports fan. Uh, maybe, like, hey, happy first day of the Masters, right? Amazing. Let's go. Any golf fans? Any, uh, any baseball fans? It's also opening day for baseball. Right? This is just, wow, so much sports. I went one time without talking about sports, and now it's back again. This is phenomenal. But, guys, maybe it's just that I'm a little bit of, uh, I'm a little crazy when it comes to why I have become a Jayhawks fan. That is a story for another time. But tonight we're going to be talking about mental health. And that's what we're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks. And see, I think we wouldn't have to, you know, it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to see how COVID has impacted our mental health. There was a, a 2021 study done by the Kaiser Family Foundation. And it showed that 56% of young adults show some symptoms of an anxiety or depression disorder. Uh, this half... Raise your hand. That means that statistically in this room, over half of this room will experience some kind of symptoms of anxiety or depression disorders. And the same study showed that to cope, 25% of all young adults are using some kind of substance to numb the pain of some mental health symptom. And regardless of your thoughts on drugs or alcohol, I think we can all agree that using substances to numb pain is not a helpful way to actually deal with these stressors, right? And an even more somber quote or statistic is that 26%, that is a fourth of all people, have entertained suicidal thoughts to deal with negative emotions. One out of every four people. And guys, this is all just since the COVID pandemic. And I think it's, it's very somber and it's very sobering. And I share that because I want us to know that this is something that impacts us and it impacts our friends around us, right? And we want to be caring people. I think all of us would say we want to care for the people around us. So that's what we're talking about tonight. We're going to be talking about how do we care, not just for the other people around us, but how do we get ourselves to a positive place that we can continue to be impacting other people. There's a, a, an organization they're an addiction recovery organization called Living Free. And they say this, that mental health is a commitment to living in reality. Mental health, most of what it is, is just committing to see the world the way it really is. Because if you guys have experienced any kind of the symptoms or unhelpful thoughts or emotions, you know that it clouds your ability to see things clearly, right? It might make a K-State fan a Jayhawks fan, right? Like it might actually do something that you just can't see clearly. But guys, in, well, in all reality, in all honesty, we, not, not a single one of us see the world clearly the way that we're meant to see it. There is all distortions that we have in our thinking 
There's all emotions that we don't know how to deal with. So that's what we're dealing with this series. And I want to address this on the front end. Um, before we start, before we start the series, and for every week to come, uh, there is a huge need for clinical help, right? The clinical help is a very important thing that I wanted to address on the front end. Uh, clinical anxiety runs in my family. A lot of my family members have been diagnosed, and they're on medication. They've gone to see counselors and therapists. And so if that's you, and you have a clinical disorder, or you have a clinically diagnosed um, mental health disorder, I would encourage you, continue to take medicine, continue to seek help, continue to get counseling, uh, honestly, from someone who's following God and someone who's following Jesus, because I really think that's going to continue to help. But for all of us, there are unhelpful patterns of thoughts and emotions that we have in our lives that we can all learn something of, how do I grow to be a more mentally healthy and secure person? Before, though, we uh, start talking about what we're going to be talking about tonight, which is insecurity, I'm going to share a little bit of a story with you guys, right? So I grew up as an outdoorsman, right? My family went camping every single summer from before I was even one years old. My mom had me strapped in one of those little baby carrier things, and we were hiking up mountains, right? Like we would, we would cook. We'd camp in tents. My mom would be cooking on like gas propane stoves. My dad would be catching fish from the river, and I absolutely loved it. We'd go horseback riding up mountains. My dad is, is honestly an amazing fisherman. And so, like, I just, I didn't really catch the fishing bug until a little bit later. But, like, I've really come to enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. So we'd go camping. My dad and I would shoot guns a lot. Like, we just, we loved being outside. And you guys are like, Nick, you're from Johnson County and look what you're wearing. Are you really an outdoorsman? <laughs> I promise you I am. But the one thing that I didn't really get into was hunting. I had been hunting one time before I went to college. And uh, that was pheasant hunting when I was five. And so I don't know really that I really did too much or comprehended what was happening. But I went to K-State, and a lot of people are duck hunters there. And so a lot of my friends, they really enjoyed duck hunting. And I thought, man, I, I want to learn to do that. Well, finally, my buddy Kyle, he's like, hey, Nick, I want to I get some of our friends to go out to my land, and we're going to go get some ducks. And I thought, man, like, that sounds really fun. But then something started to happen in me, and I was like, ooh, uh, I don't know how to duck hunt. Like, I've never been before. And then I started to question myself a ton. And I was like, man, do, do I really need to go? Like, is that really something? Am I going to be dragging down the vibe when I do this? And the crazy thing, what, you're like, Nick, you were nervous about duck hunting? Like, it's crazy, right, how these things happen, how our thoughts start to betray us. But we get closer and closer, and I'm getting more and more uncertain about my ability to go out there and duck hunt and also what my buddies are going to think of me. And let me tell you guys, right, that day comes... We wake up at 4 a.m., we go out there, and I have an amazing time. Why? Because I get out there, and they are doing everything, right? They put out all the decoys. They put up the blinds. They know how to do the calls. They have all the extra gear, all the extra waders, all the extra shells, anything I could possibly need. And I just get to sit there and shoot ducks. And I'm like, this is so much fun. If there's any PETA fans in the room, I'm going to get booed later. But it was so much fun, and I enjoyed it so much that later that day, I was in the kitchen, and I was making these goose poppers. You take a little bit of goose, you wrap them with bacon, some jalapeno cream cheese. They're very good. Highly recommend it. And I was making them, and I was asking myself, why was I so nervous? And it's because I was so focused on myself and so insecure about my own ability that I wasn't focused on. It was just the fact that I had my friends right there with me, and they were doing everything, and they knew what to do. And I just needed to rely on them. And so tonight, as we're talking about 
insecurity. This is the definition of insecurity from the American Psychological Association. It's an overall sense of uncertainty or anxiety about your worth, ability, skills, and value as a person, conveying the message that you're at risk or in danger of something or someone. Common symptoms of an insecurity is an overriding feeling of inadequacy, or maybe a lack of self-confidence, self-esteem, or self-worth, or it's arrogance and overconfidence in yourself. Both of them are symptoms of insecurity. Uh, it's a feeling unable or ill-equipped to cope with life's stressors. You're just like, I just, I can't deal with that. It's being uncertain about the world or anxious about your relationships with others. I've got some questions for us. This is going to be fun. But I've got some questions for us to ask ourselves. Do I have any thought processes that lead me towards insecurity? So we're going to ask ourselves these questions, and it's just going to help us discover, okay, how can I grow from this time? How can I grow from these next 30 minutes tonight? First question, do I walk into a room and instantly wonder, what does everyone think of me? Maybe you came here tonight, and you were like really uncertain, what is everyone going to think of me? I just want to say, we are so glad that you're here. Like genuinely, if it is your first time, we are thrilled that you're here. We have a free t-shirt for you at the connection table afterwards, and I just want to put that one right at rest, like you are welcome here, we are pumped that you're here. Second question, do I replay conversations in my head over and over wondering what I should have done better? Right, that's the one that you're in the shower and you're thinking about your eighth grade argument with Jimmy Butler and you're like, man, if only I would have said this, my life would have been so different. I would have been the starting quarterback of the football team or something, if like from one conversation, right? And we replay that over and over. Next question is, do I feel better about myself when I get attention from the opposite sex? If guys are paying attention to you or if girls are paying attention to you, do you feel better about yourself? Am I crushed when I get or give feedback? If I have to tell someone something hard or hear something hard, does it crush me? Or am I trying to constantly one-up the people around me? If you're like, Nick, I've got a 10 times better duck hunting story than that, then this talk's for you. Right? But if you answered yes to any of these questions, those are signs of insecurity. But I, I want you guys to know we are here to learn and grow together. So that is the point of tonight. Because anytime that there's an emotion, it's because there's an underlying value to that emotion. Right? So if we feel the emotion of uncertainty or insecurity, it's because deep down there's this value that's being attacked or that we believe is being attacked. And a lot of times, let's be honest, like we value our self-worth. Right, and we value what other people think about us. Anytime we think that that's at risk, we, you know, start to get a little nervous. But here's the thing, y'all. God does not want you to live in an insecure mindset. The words, check this, I love this. The words secure, security, or refuge occur over 150 times in the Bible. The words confident or confidence occur over 40 times, and over 90% of them are all used in a positive light. Over 90% is a gift that God wants to give us, is that God wants us to be confident. I think we have to ask ourselves though, how do I find this? Is it through self-love and self-acceptance? Is it through just trying harder and trying to make myself better? Is it through gaining the acceptance of other people? How do we get the confidence and the security that God promises? That's what we're talking about tonight. See, God has a purpose. If, if you are in this room, actually if you just exist, God has a purpose for you, and he wants you to walk in that purpose confidently every single day of your life. 
But I think the, the, the hard thing is that sometimes we lack confidence, one, about God. Like maybe you didn't grow up going to church and you're like, man, I'm not really like a spiritual guy. So I don't really know. Like maybe God does have this purpose for me, but I don't really know if that's me. Right? Like I'm just, I'm not that guy. And we lack confidence in it. The crazy thing is we can lack confidence in day-to-day tasks. Right? Tax day is on April 18th. Probably some people in this room are like, oh, taxes. Also, you're welcome, by the way, if you forgot about that. Tax day is April 18th. And a lot of times we're like, I'm an adult. I should know how to do my taxes. I'm an adult. I have no idea how to do my taxes. And we freak out a little bit. And we start to feel like we're, we're less. Or we start to feel like our self-worth is being attacked because I don't know how to do this thing that was never taught to me in the first place. But, like, I don't know how to do this. And we don't want to ask for help because we want to appear competent. Right? So it's like, I can't ask my parents. can't ask my friends. Might as well call the people at H&R Block. They didn't pay me to say that. But we can lack confidence in these things. Someone got that a little late. But guys, there is a purpose that God has for each and every single one of us. And we're going to take a look at what that is. So tonight, we're going to look at a man who God also called to an incredible purpose that was way too big for him. It, he was rescuing his people from a 400-year enslavement from a king and a government that was oppressive and that was the most powerful kingdom in the entire world. If you don't know anything about the Bible, this is a guy named Moses. So Moses, a little bit about him. He's born into slavery. His mom has to give him up or he'll be killed. But he's found by the daughter of Pharaoh, the king. And, his, and Pharaoh's daughter raises Moses as royalty in the palace. So he goes from born, being born into slavery to being raised as, as, a, as royalty. And one day when he's a young adult, he sees an Egyptian attacking one of his people, the Hebrews, and he looks at him, and he looks, no one's paying attention, so he kills the Egyptian. So he straight up just murders a guy. And then he covers up the body, but not very well, because the next day, people find out about it, and Pharaoh wants to kill Moses because he killed this Egyptian. So Moses runs away to the desert, to this small town, gets married, and he lives there as a shepherd. So he's gone from being born into slavery to living in the palace of the most powerful ruler at that time to living as a shepherd in the desert. And that's the, the trajectory of his life. It's kind of, you know, unusual, I would say. But uh, before we hop into the, to the Bible today, I want to say if you're new to reading the Bible, this is the place for you. Like we are here to discover God's word together. So if you're not familiar with how to read the Bible and you're like, man, that's not really my thing. Like this is the place for you because we're going to walk through it together. We're going to take a look at what it says. But before we do that, I want to pray and then we'll get started. Uh, Heavenly Father, God, I'm just, I'm thankful for you. God, I'm thankful for every single one of these people that's here tonight. Um, God, help us to be honest with ourselves and with the people around us, God, about the, the challenges of mental health and emotions and thoughts that we're going through. Uh, God, I know that this is a challenge for me. God, I know it's a challenge for so many of the people I care about. God, and I want us to have the freedom and the confidence that you promised. God, help us to, to be people who listen to your word and recognize what you're trying to say to us. God, I pray that I would communicate clearly as I should. We love you and we're grateful for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So tonight we're checking out Exodus 3, and we're going to get started. Everyone read that? Good, okay. I made these slides. Now Moses was shepherding the flock, not the design. I can't take credit for that. That wasn't me. I, I want to make sure credit's given where credit's due. Now Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to the mountain of God, to Horeb. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from within the bush. 
he looked, and the bush was ablaze with fire, but it was not being consumed. Moses is out. He's taking care of his sheep. He sees a bush on fire. He thinks, weird. Bushes normally burn up when they're on fire. This one doesn't do it. So he says to himself, I will turn aside to see this amazing sight. Why does the bush not burn up? I like to think that, like, that's just such a funny question. Like, huh, it's a very, like, scientific question. He's like, well, I want to go check that out, I think is how he would say it in our day. But he goes and he checks it out. And he says, when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. I guess that's what you say if God's talking to you from a bush. Like, uh, I'm right here. God said, do not approach any closer. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. He added, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face because he's afraid to look at God. And we have to realize something really quick, that Moses grew up in an Egyptian palace, which means chances are he was not raised to know about the God of the Bible and the God of his people. Right, chances are that Moses grew up hearing about all the Egyptian gods who are very different than the God of the Bible. And so there's potential that he's just hearing this unknown God who says, hey, I'm the God of your people, and he's talking to him from a bush. And it's like the first time that Moses has ever heard about this. And then God goes on to explain, hey, I have been watching my people that I chose, Moses' people, the Hebrews, the Israelites. And he says, I want to rescue them, and I want to bring them to a land that's amazing, and they'll be safe, and they'll be provided for. And it says it's, it's overflowing with milk and honey, which sounds pretty great. I don't know why, but it sounds good. And he's like, I'm going to use you to set my people free. He says in verse 10, so now go, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But you got to remember, right, Moses is wanted by Pharaoh for death, or for murder, right? Like, that is what Moses thinks of when he thinks of Pharaoh. Like, wait, you mean the guy that wants to kill me? This is an impossibly big task. He's like, you want me to go, and you want me to rescue these people. And you see Moses' response. Right away, he says, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh or that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So he's instantly just like, man, what's going on? But the sad thing, and our first point, is that insecurity targets our view of ourselves. Right, because the first thing, so God has just showed up to Moses, and he has said, I'm going to do this amazing thing, and I'm going to be right there with you, and I'm going to rescue your people. And Moses' first thought is, this is about me. And he's instantly like, oh, no, 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 no. No, I'm not, I don't think I'm good enough for this. And he's not necessarily asking God, he's not like, okay, like, who are you? How do I know? He's not asking, okay, like, what do my people need? How can I help them? He's just like, no, I, uh, yeah, I don't think I'm the right guy for this. And that's what insecurity causes us to do. It causes us to focus too much on ourselves. We ask ourselves, am I good enough? Like, am I, am I really able to do this? Do I have the ability or the skill to do this? And we get really, like, self-focused. And it's like, oh, no, no, like, anytime that there's something that's outside of our ability or outside of our comfort zone, it's like, I don't, I don't think I'm the right guy for that. Like, I don't think I should be chosen for this. Moses goes on, and, uh, and God replies, actually, to him, and says, Surely I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I have sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you and they will serve God at this mountain. So God's like, hey, 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 like, it's going to be okay. Like, I'm going to be with you every single step of the way. And he says, and here's how you know, because it's going to work out. 
he, he literally tells Moses, the way that you know that I've sent you is because you and your people are going to serve me at this mountain. He's like, you'll know when it happens. That's how you know that I've sent you. So God is saying, hey, don't, don't worry about yourself. Like, I'm going to take care of you. I will be right there with you every single step of the way. But Moses goes on to say that, that we see this, that insecurity targets the view of ourselves. And Moses goes on to say, he says to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not an eloquent man, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So Moses is like, uh, God, hey, um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, I've never really been a good speaker. And uh, that hasn't really changed since we started doing this whole bush communication thing. Like, that hasn't changed. So uh, I don't think I'm your guy. And a lot of people think that Moses maybe even had a speech impediment. He says he's slow of tongue. Some people think he had a stutter. Some people think he wasn't, a, uh, like, he just couldn't speak clearly. But regardless, he's either not a good speaker or he has some kind of speech impediment. But he's just, he's really concerned. And it, you can tell that he's really concerned with his value and his ability to do this. He's like, no, 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 I'm not your guy. But God is saying, hey, I'm going to be right there with you. And this is why that this is important for us as we're going through. Because God says, oh, sorry, God says this to Moses. He responds and says, who gave a mouth to man? Or who makes a person mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? So now go, and I'll be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you must say. God's saying, hey, hey, it's okay. Like, you've got this weakness, maybe, but I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to take care of you. And the, the reason why this is important is because insecurity is really an identity issue. Like, the way that we see ourselves is always attacked by in our insecure thoughts and emotions. Here's the thing. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have a new identity. If you are not a follower of Jesus, you, if you haven't made the decision to follow him, you are still created in God's image, which gives you intrinsic value and worth, and God loves you even though you're not following him. The, that's what the Bible teaches, is that God loves you and made you in his image, and if you're, following on a G, if you're following Jesus, there's a whole lot of other identity that we get as a result of that. And see, God wants to use us for something amazing, but we're just very focused on ourselves. I'm going to share God's purpose with us. God's purpose is that we would know him and make him known, right? Like that is what God wants for every single person in this room. Whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, God wants you to know him first, to have a relationship with him, to get to know him, to worship him, and then to make him known. Which means you tell other people about Jesus, and then you train them to learn how to grow as followers of Jesus, who then go and tell other people about Jesus and train other people. And he wants to do that to change the entire world. And he wants to spread his love and forgiveness and hope and, and, and ways of living that is just much better and much more beneficial throughout the entire world. And he wants to bless everyone in the world by doing that. And he wants you to do it. And I'm not just saying, like, he, he wants you, all of you, but he wants you specifically. Like, I am speaking to each and every single one of you individually. And if that sounds too big for you, it's like, well, it's because it is in the first place, right? Like, that is too big. It is very similar to Moses. Moses was called to set his people free from slavery. We are called to go out and help people become free from slavery to sin and slavery to shame and slavery to addiction and all of these things by telling them the good news of Jesus. But God is not asking Moses to accomplish this all by himself. And God is not asking you 
to go and accomplish these purposes all by yourself. God is asking us to rely on him. There's this quote that I love. It says that if dependence is the goal, then weakness is the advantage. Which sounds crazy, right? Like weakness is not my advantage. No one goes out on a basketball court and says, yeah, our weaknesses are we don't really have enough height down low and we're not good good three-point shooters. But that's our advantage. Like that doesn't make any sense. But when you're following God, weakness is our advantage. We get to celebrate these things. See, there's this follower of Jesus. His name was Paul. And he went from throwing Christians in prison for following Jesus to following Jesus and being thrown in prison for being a Christian. Right? Like huge 180. And later in his life, he's got this huge weakness. And he's, he, it doesn't say what it is, but he's begging and he's pleading with God to, let go, to get rid of it. But God says to him, my grace is enough for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So then Paul says, so then I will boast most gladly about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may reside in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with troubles, with persecutions and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Isn't that crazy? Like Paul is, is saying, hey, I celebrate the things that make me weak because it, remi- it helps me rely on God. That's, that's just, that, that's not the way we do it. Like, that just seems so countercultural to what our natural gut instinct is. Because our natural gut instinct is anytime we're faced with something we can't do, it's like, oh, I'm just not going to do it. Or, oh, I, I don't want to do that. And, but we have to start focusing on God's character and how he defines us. Right? Like, if you see God as just this small, distant God, your problems are going to be massive. Right? And every single challenge in life is going to be so impossibly big. But if you start to see God as the loving creator who made the entire universe, if you start to see him as the guy who made each and every single person who loves people and sent his son to die on the cross for everyone's sins, and you start to see him for who he is as being wise and compassionate and just and loving and perfect and holy, it's like, man, your problems just start to shrink. Because if you know the God and you're relying on the God who created everything, who created all of the, pro- uh, not the problems, who created all of the situations we could ever find ourselves in, then our problems get really tiny, they get really tiny. And it causes us to just take a step back and think, oh, I'm, it's not really about me. It's about God. And there's a freedom in that self-forgetfulness. Right? There's a freedom to learning to read the Bible to see who God is and who he says that we are. And that's the first application that I want you guys to walk away from tonight is read the Bible and learn who God says he is and who he says that you are. And if you are not familiar with reading the Bible, maybe you don't have one, at the connection table where you can get the t-shirt if it's your first time, we would love to give you a Bible. You can get a Bible even if it's not your first time. We'll give those to anyone. But we would love to get you a Bible. And if you don't know how to read it, uh, ask the person who invited you, ask a volunteer, come, uh, come talk to me afterwards. We would love to get you set up to, to be able to read the Bible. The book of John is a really great place to start. That's where I started when I first started following Jesus. And it was crazy seeing the way that God spoke about himself and the way that God spoke about me. And it really started to change my view of myself and of God. And I started to become a lot less insecure. And I started to see that my value doesn't come from myself, but it comes from who God says that I am. Well, Moses, right, so he's like, hey, God, I don't think I'm your guy. He continues on in the... The next big way that insecurity plays out is that it targets our view of ourselves, 
But then you see what Moses says. He says, and if they do not believe me or pay attention to me, but say the Lord has not appeared to you, what we see is that insecurity targets our view or, or how others view us. Insecurity targets the way that we think other people see us. And so Moses, look at this. He's saying, what if they don't believe me or pay attention to me, but say the Lord has not appeared to you? So he's like, God has just gotten done saying like, Moses, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to do this amazing thing. And he's like, yeah, but what if they don't listen? Like he's not just concerned with them believing him. Like he's not just concerned with them being like, yeah, you're crazy. He's like, what if they don't even pay attention? He's scared of going to these people who have been enslaved for 400 years and being mistreated by an oppressive government and saying freedom is at your doorstep. And they're just like, did you hear something? Like that's his fear. That's what he's insecure about. And he's, he's just concerned with what other people are going to think. And this is what happens to us too, right? Like insecurity has us so concerned about what other people think of us. Maybe it's at your job, right? Maybe like you don't know how to do something at your job, but you're really afraid to tell your boss because you're like, I need to know how to do my job perfectly. And maybe you just started like three weeks ago. And <laughs> it's like, why? Like that doesn't make sense. Or maybe you want to ask your coworkers, but you're like, nah, I, I need to appear competent. I need to know, seem like I know what I'm doing. Maybe you want to work hard for your boss, but you also don't want to seem like you try too hard. So you try to do this weird like perception management where you care for your boss, but you don't care around your coworkers. And you're like, yeah, that's how I'm going to be cool. That's called job insecurity. It's a very common form of security. Maybe you're insecure about your friends or your families or your significant other. And you're like, I, I don't think they really like me. Right? Like, I think they just kind of pity me. And that's why they're friends with me. And a lot of times we start to, to tell ourselves, like, man, I don't think I'm really valued by the people around me. That's called relational insecurity. There's also social insecurity. It's like, I just don't think that people at, at large will like me. Like, I don't think, I just don't think that this is something that people are going to, I don't think that I'm someone that people are going to like. And guys, it's hard, right? Like, these are painful thoughts. But it's really quick, and our minds just start going there. And it starts saying, man, I, you know, I don't think they like me, so... Uh, I don't really know that I like myself, and it just starts to kind of escalate, and we start to be really concerned with what other people think about us. But y'all, if you are always concerned about what other people think of you, then you will allow them to dictate and rule your life. Like, if you are always trying to please your parents, your parents will run your life. If you're always trying to please your friends, your friends will run your life. If you're always trying to please your job or your boss, like, your boss is going to make all your decisions for you. And I think we know, like, when someone else is, is, is another person is making the decisions for us, we feel helpless, right? And it even starts to make us question our ability in the first place. It's like, man, like, that person over there, they're making all my decisions. I don't even know if I'm good enough to make any of these decisions myself. And it's painful, right? Like, it's not a, it's a, it's not a helpful mental pattern. But these emotions and these thoughts, they well up inside of us. And they're so quick, and they come out of nowhere. And it's like, what is going on? Proverbs 29, 25, the, uh, the wisest man, did I put that in there? I guess I didn't. Okay. Uh, Proverbs 29, 25, like I said, I made these slides. says that the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. A snare is a trap that you'll use to catch an animal. A lot of times the leg gets caught. And a lot of times it means death for whatever's caught in the snare. So it's saying that the, the fear of man is a death trap. Because if we're constantly concerned 
and we're constantly living our lives for the approval of other people, it will lead to death. It will lead to, to just continued pain and will continue to withdraw. And it hurts. But guys, there's hope because whoever trusts in the Lord is not just okay. It says they're safe, right? It's like, it's not just that you're like decent. It's that you're actually safe and you can be safe. And why do we need to be secure in how other people see us? It's because like I said, God has a purpose for us. And if God's purpose is for us to tell other people about Jesus and show them love and care and compassion and tell them the truth, and we're afraid of people, we are never going to tell them about the greatest thing that has ever lived. The greatest person that has ever lived and the thing that can literally save them from all of the pain. We, we looked at all the statistics, right? The one solution that's actually out there, we withhold it because we're afraid of what people are going to think. So we need to be able to be set free from that. Here's a way to do that. First of all, everyone is just really like, people are very primarily interested in themselves. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. But if you want to like love people and you want to show care to people, you just ask them about themselves. And you just show that you care. You just ask someone in a very genuine way, hey, how's your day? Hey, what's, what's a highlight of your week been? What's something that's been hard recently? And you show care and you communicate care, and that's going to show people that you really are valuing them. Said like this, don't care about what other people think, care about other people. And that starts to, and you know, you can't just end at the don't care about what other people think. Because then you say, I don't care what other people think, I'm going to do my own thing, right? But that doesn't lead to security, because then in the back of your mind, it doesn't really solve the problem, right? You're still like trying to basically fake it until you make it. But if you follow God and you start to look at who God says that you are, that's what sets you free. And that's what empowers you to love other people. So Moses, right, like back to the story, Moses, he's, he's questioning. He's like, am, am I the right guy for this? And he's also concerned. He's like, man, I, you know, I don't think that other people are going to like me very much. And we see him say this. He says, oh, my Lord, please send anyone else whom you wish to send. God has been saying, Moses, I'll be with you. Like, don't worry about your weaknesses. I will be with you. I will take care of you. I will do all of these things. And God is saying, rely on me. And Moses just says, no. Send someone else. That's our final point, is that insecurity targets how God views us. Because you see it in the very first verses that we read. Moses hides his face from God because he's afraid. And a lot of times that's how we see God. We look at God and we think, man, I'm, I'm afraid. I don't think he likes me. And maybe you're like, man, I, I haven't done very good things, right? Like I don't think God should like me. But intrinsically, just like all of us, like all of us deep down, we want to be approved of by our fathers or father figure in our life. Even deeper than that, all of us want to be approved of by the, the, the God who created us. Like all of us have a deep need to be loved and approved of by God. But that's really hard. And you see what happens to Moses, because Moses says this. He says, hey, just send someone else. And it says, then the Lord became angry with Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he can speak very well. Moreover, he is coming to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And a lot of us, when we read that, 
we go, yeah, exactly. That is just like God. He gets angry, right? Like that's what God does. When I'm insecure, he gets angry at me. Because what is God's anger? What does he do? He brings Moses help with a happy family reunion. It's like, wait, God's angry, and he just brings help and a family reunion? And here's the thing, guys. We have to change our view of God. We have to change our view of God. God's anger is not like man's anger. God is not like man. He is different from us. Later on, when God is describing himself to Moses, he says, he's the Lord, the Lord, a God gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It's literally a phrase that means God is so slow to anger, it's basically locked up behind a safe, right? But he's just overflowing with love, and he's overflowing with compassion, and he's gracious, and he's caring. But we have to change how we see God, because if we're here tonight, and we're here for this series, and you're looking for a quick fix for your mental health, like, it will not succeed. It just won't. Because deep down, we need to fix our, tr- our view of God, and we need to trust God. And maybe you're here tonight, right, and, and you're not really sure about what God thinks of you because you've never decided to follow Jesus. And I just want to say this really quickly. God created each and every single person so that we could have a relationship with him and we could worship him and honor him. And that includes each and every single one of you. But each and every single one of us have sinned and we've done things against God. What Romans 6.23 says, it says, for the wages of sin is death. What we earn because of our sin is is death. And the ways that we choose to run our own life and the ways that we choose to decide that I'm going to do what I want to do, that earns us this death, which is this separation from God. And so God looks at us, but he still loves us. And so it continues on, the verse continues on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The reality is, is that all of us have done things that have broken our relationship with God. And God has to hold us to our actions because he's a just God. Like, if, if someone hit your car, like, there would need to be a payment done. Right? And so if we have metaphorically hit God or disobeyed God, like, there needs to be payment. But God, because he's rich in love and mercy, he sends his own son to live a perfect life and die a death, a painful death on the cross in our stead. Which is crazy, right? Like that is mind-blowing. Think about that. If you're struggling with insecurity and you're not a follower of Jesus, there is a God that loves you so much, that values you so much, that he came and died just so that you could have a relationship with him. That is mind-blowing. It's incredible. And then we turn and we stop living for ourselves And we stop trying to define our self-worth. And we stop living for the approval of other people. And we trust and we just rely on God. And Jesus was raised from the dead so that if anyone does turn and trust in God, we have Jesus' identity. So if Jesus is the son of God, then we become children of God. If we're followers of Jesus. And if Jesus is the king, then we become co-heirs with the king. And if Jesus is loved by God, we become beloved children. And if Jesus is a messenger to the world, we become ambassadors of the world to tell people about the good news of Jesus. And if Jesus was raised to life, then that means we're also raised to life from the curse of sin and death. And we have freedom. 
I want to share with you guys, or actually I want to bring up a friend who's going to share her story about what this looked like, of how she started following Jesus and how she dealt with insecurity. So will you all welcome up Caroline? Hi, everybody. Like Nick said, my name is Caroline. A little bit about myself. I'm originally from the Southern Illinois, St. Louis area. I went to college at Mizzou. And then after graduation, moved here to Kansas City. And I've been here um, just for about over two years now. So growing up, for me, faith was pretty important in my family. We definitely went to church regularly. And I grew up learning who God was. But all that was really just head knowledge. And it never really affected um, the way that I lived. So going into college, some things that I would say were true about me was that I valued a lot about what other people thought of me. And I mean, I can really relate to a lot of the things Nick said in his talk. I found security in friendships and relationships and doing well academically. Um, and also just wanting to live that picture perfect college lifestyle that you see. Um, but all that was just really not any finding any worth in that. So at the towards the end of my sophomore year, um, I was just continually left with this feeling of unfulfillment. Um, it wasn't anything that you could really see from the outside, but it was just this inner feeling of sadness and anxiety and just a continuous feeling of being unsatisfied. Um, that year, I also met one of my friends who became one of my closest friends, and she really valued her faith and shared with me how because of our sin, we are separated from God. Um, but because of his love for us, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, who is fully God and fully man into the world. Um, and he lived a perfect life without sin. And he would die on the cross for our sin and take the punishment that we deserve. Um, and because of that, we can have a relationship with God that starts here on earth and lasts for all of eternity. And I grew up learning that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, living in America. It's kind of what you hear a lot. Um, but I never really knew what it meant to live in light of that. Um, so I made the decision to follow Christ and make him the center of my life. I was chose to no longer live a Caroline-centered life, but to live a Christ-centered life. And what was once just religion became a relationship with the creator of the universe. And what was once just traditions and doing things because that's what I thought I was supposed to do became truth that impacted just every area of my life. Um, so what that started to look like was I began to read my Bible, and that became a daily habit that is still true for me today. And not just reading it, but learning from it and letting those truths change my life. Um, turning from sin and choosing to be obedient to God and apply his truth to my life. I also started to pray regularly, and not just prayers that I grew up learning, but having genuine conversations with God and being able to pour my heart out to him. And it's been pretty amazing seeing God answer those prayers and just how um, those prayers have shaped my life. I also started to surround myself with people who also wanted to grow in their faith or who were already mature in their faith. Um, and that made a huge difference because those became the people who were influencing my life. Um, and I made this decision back in 2017 to follow Christ, and it has genuinely shaped every area of my life. It is the reason that I moved to Kansas City after college and have the job that I have. It's the reason for the amazing friends that I have, and it's the reason that I married the person that I married. Um, and this is just scratching the surface of everything God has done in my life, but I can't stand up here all night and tell you guys all about that. But I am so grateful that my friend shared that truth with me and that I made that decision to follow Christ back in 2017. So thanks, Emily Scott. 
That was awesome. Thank you for sharing, Caroline. Guys, like, that is just, that's a picture, right? That is someone who is struggling with insecurity, and their life is transformed by Jesus. And if that is you and you're not following Jesus, I would encourage you, really, really seriously consider making that decision. And, and talk with someone who invited you. Come talk to a volunteer. Come talk to me. But please, don't, don't wait on that decision because that is the most important decision that you will ever make. And remember that there is a God who loves you and he wants you to know him. And he wants to transform your life and give you an amazing purpose that's so much bigger than anything that we could ever do ourselves. And to, to those of you who are following Jesus, I want to say this, that our purpose is to know God and make him known. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the great commission is that Jesus says that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. So therefore go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded him, us. And Jesus says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The exact same thing that God told Moses, God is telling us today. God is telling you today. He wants you to go out and have this amazing purpose. And remember, if you're like, man, it's, I don't think I'm the guy for that. I don't think I'm the girl for that. We rely on God. We celebrate the things that make us weak, because then we get to rely on God. And so get to know God for who he says that he is. That's what Caroline was saying. We read our Bible, not just, not just because this thing is like a good thing to do. It's not just something you check off. You read this Bible because this is God's word of who he says that he is and who he says that you are. And it's how you get to know him. And it's how you have a relationship with him. And it's how you tell other people about it too. And then I wanted to leave you guys with a little bit of a practical uh, because I wanted, I wanted to, to help us. We've seen the why, right? Like we've talked a lot about the why. But I want to show how do we know then what to do if we're having insecure thoughts and insecure emotions. And uh, guys, this is something like I've said it multiple times. Like this is something that's hard for me. For me to get up here and do my job and come to communicate to people truth about God and who he is. Like, I have to battle temptation for insecurity often. And so I put together this little tool, and this is just what I do. I found it to be very helpful. And so it's CARE. It's an acronym. And if we're, we're not caring about what other people think, we're caring about other people. So you can remind yourself of that. It's CARE. And the first one, C, is you create space and you breathe. So if you start to feel the insecurity well up and you start to feel uncertain or you start to feel anxious or whatever, you take a step back and you breathe. Deep breathing actually has a lot of very positive benefits in life. One, oxygen is just very needed. And a lot of times, like, if you, I don't know, that wasn't meant to be a joke. <laughs> but I'm glad that it was funny. I was a microbiology pre-med major. Science. But you create space and you breathe, and it helps reset your mind, and it helps, it helps those emotions kind of start to settle down. And then you assess the insecurity. You start to think, okay, what is the thing that I value that's being targeted by this insecure thought or feeling? Maybe it's your self-worth, maybe it's your ability, maybe it's what other people think of you. But you assess what your insecurity is, and then R, you replace it with identity. So if you're feeling like you're not valued, you think, no, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He loves me dearly. 
If you start to worry about what other people think of you, you think, no, I'm an ambassador for Jesus. I tell other people about Jesus. Like, I, I am giving people a great gift. And then E, you engage with others. And you take the focus off of yourself. And you think, man, I'm just going to go be a blessing to someone else. These are, this is a really, really helpful thing for me to do. I've seen it pay huge dividends. But guys, it is practice. Right? Like, it is discipline to get my mind to do this. And so you have to teach yourself. And go easy on yourself. Like, if you don't instantly do this every single time you're feeling insecure, like, that's what practice is. You just have to continue to train yourself. And have your friends hold you accountable. Tell them at the end of the day, man, be like, hey, I was, I was really just letting myself go with some insecure thoughts today. Get some friends who are actually going to love you, though, and say, hey, thanks for sharing that with me. What's some things we can do to replace those lies with truth? And you start to do that, and over time, you'll see a pattern of true confidence, not in yourself, right? It's not like we're trying to become, like, you know, the, the best, well-rounded, perfect person named Tom Brady ever, right? Like, we're not trying to do that. We are trying to rely on God. And over time, you'll start to see yourself rely on God more and more. It's really, really helpful. And again, I want to say this again. If you have a clinical need with mental health, please go talk to someone. Talk to a licensed professional. Talk to a licensed professional who follows Jesus. I think that's even better. Get medicine if you need to. Adhere to to the recovery schedule that you need. But then if you continue to do that and put in practice the spiritual side of things, of getting to know God, it's going to pay huge dividends. And you're not only going to be a blessing to your own life, but you're going to be a blessing to every single person around you. Guys, God wants to, do you to, do some, wants to use you to do something amazing. He really does. He cares about each and every one of you so much. It's, it's really amazing. I want to close with one story, right? So if that was a duck hunting story, this is a turkey hunting story. It was actually a couple months after my duck hunting story. The same friend, Kyle, he said, hey, I want to get some of our guys together, and, we, and I want to go turkey hunting. And guys, let me tell you, the story is almost exactly the same. We put a date on the, on the calendar. I wake up really early. We go out there. My friend sets up all the decoys. He gives me all the equipment I need. He calls in the birds, just like he called in the ducks. And I give myself a nice turkey. But what was the difference? It's because the first time I was focused on myself. And I was just letting my mind spiral. And I was so concerned about what other people thought of me. But in the next story, I just trusted the guy that I was with. And I thought, man, Kyle knows what he's doing, and he's going to take care of me. And that is exactly how God wants us to live our lives. Not focused on ourselves, but focused on the God who loves us and made us and says, rely on me. Because when we are weak, then he is strong. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to have some discussion questions. God, I'm just, I'm humbled by the fact that you love us. God, I'm, I'm humbled by the fact that even when I doubt my ability to have worth, God, even when I just care too much about what other people think, God, you're just, you, you tell us to rely on you, God. And I'm, I'm grateful that you have a purpose for me. God, it's just, it's amazing. And I pray that each and every single person in this room, God, I pray that we'd see that clearly and we'd start to replace lies with truth about how, who you are and how big you are and amazing you are and loving you are. And God, I pray that if there's someone here who is not following Jesus, God, I pray that they'd make that decision. God, and they wouldn't let insecurity of things that they've done 
or the fact that they don't think that they're worth it or they're concerned about what other people are going to think hold them back, God, but I pray that you would work on their heart to help them see that you offer something so much better. And I pray for every single follower of Jesus in this room, God, help us to live in your purpose and help us to experience you for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray.